Hey, Sanctus Church, good morning. So glad that you're with us, whether you're watching this at Site 5 online, whether you're watching this at one of our local communities, our local sites, or if you're watching this on a podcast months or years later, or maybe on demand. Wherever you are, whoever you are, welcome. And welcome back to Second and Third John. Like I shared a few weeks ago, the theme that's going to run through everything we do in this year is found in one little word, stand. Again, this theme came out of prayer, not observation. There is something that God is wanting us as a local church, not just to learn about, but actually to participate in. And again, what is that? Well, we're called to know what love is and what it's not, and what truth is and what it's not, and then learn how to stand in love and stand in truth. Now, if you were with us, we finished 2 John a few weeks ago, and now we're going to enter into 3 John. And there's actually one major difference between these two little letters. First and Second John is written to groups of people, to churches. But this little letter is written to one person, and his name is Gaius. Now, as we're going to see over this week and next week, two other names are going to come up, and it's going to get interesting. Now, this little letter is about love. This letter is actually about godly leadership. It actually confronts pride, arrogance in leaders and calls for incredible generosity. It's actually a contrast between a godly Christian leader that lives in truth and love and an out-of-control Christian leader who believes the right things, that is, believes truth, but actually isn't acting in love. Now, that's next week. So this is really timely, especially in the cultural moment we're living in, especially in church culture. This is getting to the heart of actually so much of deconstruction that we're seeing in so many different people. A rejection of truth, and at the same time, out-of-control leaders. So let's dive in and see what God has to say for us. Uh, say to us. Okay, uh, Third John, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Verse 1. The elder to my friend, or my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Okay, so Gaius we know is a member of this local church. His name, by the way, just means rejoicing. And there are five different Gaiuses mentioned in the New Testament. There's one in Corinth, one in Macedonia, one in Derby, and others. We're not sure which one this guy is. Church history beyond the Bible tells us that actually the Apostle John makes this Gaius the very first bishop, senior leader, over the churches in Pergamum. But other than that, we don't much know much else. But whoever this person is, I want you to see that little phrase. John loves Gaius in the truth. Now let's stop and be reminded about what we learned in 2 John about truth. Because remember, 2 John and 3 John are interconnected. For John, who's writing this, truth always means two different things. The truth of who God is and the standards that God has given his people. We'll get to a little bit more of that in a moment. Verse 2, dear friend, that's Gaius, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. Okay, really interesting. Here again, we see actually a holistic Christian worldview, physical, emotional, and spiritual, not just spiritual. I hope you're in good health. I'm praying actually to God that you're physically okay. There's a chance if you read verse 9, he actually might be sick. But did you notice the other little phrase? Even as your soul is getting along well. Did you catch it? <laughs> There's movement. There's spiritual growth in Gaius' life taking place. He's not actually where he once was. How do we know? Well, verse 3. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth. Telling how you continue to walk in the truth. Okay. Let me break this down. 
in 1st and 2nd John, John himself outlines what truth is. And he actually has outlined how that truth, God-given truth, has a direct effect on our self-awareness, on our core identity, how we worship, and how we live our life. So I'm just going to stop here right now, and I'm going to do a small review of the truth that we've learned about, because it matters. And again, these letters are connected, because Gaius is living out what we've already learned about. So first of all, remember, John outlines our God-given identity and he grounded in the truth. So back in 2 John, the very first verse, it reads like this, the elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth. Now remember, we found out lady was a metaphor for the local church. And notice her primary DNA, her primary identity is found in the calling of another. She is called by God. That is capital T truth. And like I preached a few weeks ago, the truth of calling is not curse, it's comfort. Being predestined is promise, not problem. Being elected should actually be enough to help us through life's storms. This is a core part of our identity as Christians and as local churches. I mean, Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4.1, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose, he called, he elects us. It's by God, for God, through God. And the focus here is on God's own initiation, what God has already accomplished and what God's gonna keep maintaining. So I just wanna say this again, stop here and embrace this if you're a Christian. You are the focus of God's holy love. We're the focus of his initiative. We're the focus of his accomplishments. We're the focus of his perfect maintenance before time existed before the seven days of creation, before the before the before, God promised within himself that he'd choose you, save you, hold you, and never let you go. And like I've said so many times, I want to live my life, and I actually want my identity and my core identity to be grounded in a hand that never falters and never lets me go. See, I'm prone to wander and screw up and sin, and so are you. So it takes another to hold us. That's why Paul said in Romans 8, 29, for those God he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So like we learned, being called is the first part of God's truth in our lives. But remember we kept reading in verse two, where he keeps saying in 2 John 3, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. Remember we found out that, well, we found out about the truth of our salvation. Grace, undeserved mercy. Peace, a restored relationship between you and God. This is what you've experienced. This is truth. This is God's ongoing gift over you. And all this is mercy. I mean, God's free, kind, undeserved, unmerited love is given. And again, just remind yourself, it's impossible to seduce these things, buy these things, earn these things. We don't even, we can't even achieve these things. God's love, and he just gives them. So we learned, and this is what Gaius believes, the truth of our identity and the truth about our salvation. Oh, but remember, this is important. We also learned about the truth of who God is in his fullness. I just want to read that verse from 2 John 3 one more time. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. Okay, just please, please listen to what I'm saying. God himself 
and his people, the church, are rooted, are bound together, the bottom floor of everything we are is truth and love at the same time. But the order matters, truth then love. Another way of saying this is holiness and love. Both of these are core expressions of God's very given identity. God is holy forever and God is love forever. First John 1 John 1.5, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. First Peter 1.16, God says, be holy because I am holy. First John 4.8, God is love. Holy means two things. Remember, we learned this. The first version of holiness means separated from creation. God's not part of creation. He's above it. He's the author of it. And so he actually wasn't holy like this forever because there was nothing to be separated from. But holy also means in the Bible without sin. There's no darkness in him. And in this sense, God has been holy forever. And at the same time, God has been loved forever. And I just want to remind you, God being loved forever is proof that God actually is Trinity. Three in one. See, you can't be patient or kind or not envy or not be angry if you're the only one in the room. Love always presumes another. The Father has always loved the Son perfectly. The Son has always loved the Spirit perfectly. The Spirit has loved the Father perfectly. What theologians call the divine dance, how love has always been. But here's the point we learned. Remember? You must be perfect, without sin, holy, to be loving in a full sense. You will not always be patient perfectly, or kind perfectly, or not be angry consistently, unless you are holy first. That's why it says in the Bible, perfect love casts out fear. So God is holy love, not just holy and not just love. God's love relies on his light, his holiness. And like I said a few weeks ago, John, blah, blah, blah. Why are you saying this? Is this some, no, 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 understand this. In our culture, all we hear is God is love. But if you're going to stand as a Christian for real love and real truth, we've got to do it well because our culture has hijacked love and reduced it to phrases like love yourself, your authentic self, what you feel is good and right, or my truth or your truth. And in, in the end, if, if you go down that path, you'll make God unholy, you'll live an unholy life, and think God's okay with your sin, and he's not. Without holiness, you gloss over and remove judgment, sin, wrath, and judgment. And the opposite is true. If God is only holy and only light and only truth, then there's no salvation, there's no hope, there's no mercy, there's no second chances, there's no connection. His mercies aren't new every morning, but they are. So God is holy love. So let me do this. This is important. We've got the truth about our God-given identity. We've got the truth about our salvation. We've got the truth about who God is in his essence. Oh, and remember there was last one last thing that actually in 1st and 2nd John, John really defends. The truth about the real Jesus. 2nd John 7. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Remember we learned about these false teachers and they were Christians by name, they sang Christian songs, they loved the Bible, and yet they taught that, well, physical things are bad and spiritual things are good. Again, these Gnostics basically said everything in the physical universe is evil. So basically our bodies are evil and salvation is about being forgiven of sin. Actually, it's just escaping from this trap, this prison. And oh, Jesus wasn't really fully human, fully God. He was just God. And oh, by the way, the physical resurrection didn't really happen. 
And remember, the so-called Christian teachers started saying in John's day, well, if everything physical is evil, then either you need to be really hard on your body, you know, no sex, uh, and even in marriage, and, and no good food, and don't enjoy the world, beat yourself down and, because it's all bad. Or more of them started teaching, actually, who cares what you do with your body? You can use it for pleasure or pain. What you do with your body doesn't connect to the true you. See, you can't affect the spirit inside of you. So in other words, your body, your gender, anything physical is not the true you. That's the true you is only inside of you, which by the way, as a side note, isn't that what our culture is teaching 24-7 these days? But Jesus and John and Paul and Peter say, no, 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 this isn't Christian at all. The very core of the Christian faith is that Actually, Jesus physically rose from the dead and actually creation is physical and spiritual and it makes up reality and it was good. Okay, so that's how John outlines truth. Some of you might be like, wow, I gotta sit with that. That's okay, do that. So back to third John, verse four. John says to Gaius, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. In other words, Gaius, as a member of the church and probably a leader, is believing everything I just summarized for you. He's teaching these things, he's walking in these things, but notice, so important, Gaius isn't just believing right things. He's having his everyday life molded by truth. Nothing is better, by the way, just as a side note, to a pastor or Christian mentor or leader than seeing the gospel dig down and take deep roots and changing thinking and walking in relationships. Nothing is more joy-giving than months or years later running into someone you gave your life for in Jesus and actually they love Jesus now more than they used to. That's what John is saying. But maybe you just didn't catch it. Did you notice it? John, when speaking to Gaius, added another amazing element to our Christian identity. He called us children of God. Now, listen, <laughs> I know lots of us hear this, and it actually seems so cliche. It's like, yeah, we're all children of God. Actually, no, pause, Sanctus. Most people you see in a day aren't children of God. I mean, this is what John taught all the way back in his gospel. John 1.12, lean in. All who receive Jesus, to those who believe in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or human decision or husband's will, but born of God. For those that receive and believe Jesus, they're the only ones who are children of God. And notice, here's a little shocker, and God gave them the ability or right. God gave you the capacity to meet Jesus, to know Jesus, to even walk with Jesus. You, I, none of us had anything to bring. That is why the love and mercy of God is beautiful offensive and shocking. Let me work this out a little bit more. Let me say this again. Almost every human being you see is not a child of God. We hear the phrase all the time, inside of church, outside of church, we're all God's children. We hear uh, in times of tragedy, in times where we need unity, even when there's mass disagreement, but we're God's children. Well, the Bible's pretty clear on this. Yes, don't misunderstand. All human beings are immensely valuable and all human beings are made in the image of God but they're not children. That's a relationship term. Only those that believe, only those that trust and rely upon and have confidence in Jesus become children. So for example, if you say, I, I believe in Jesus, what you're actually saying is, oh, I know him and I've actually met him 
and I trust in him and I've placed my complete confidence in him and everything I know about life and everything that happens at my death and just before my death and after my death depends on Jesus. That's what it means to believe. Do you really believe? Listen to what Jesus even said in John 6, 44. No one can come to me. It's impossible for anyone to come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I'm going to raise them up on the last day. Okay, back to Gaius. It's not just about truth being understood and embraced. That was evident in Gaius' spiritual life moving forward. It also was his life was marked by truth, where the rubber meets the road. It's his time, it's his money, it's his thinking. In this case, this is so important, it expresses itself in a word called hospitality. Now, we know, because lots of us talk about convergence here in spiritual gifts, that some of us have the spiritual gift of hospitality. It's, a, it's one version of the spiritual gift of, of helps. But every Christian on earth is called to the holy habit or the discipline of hospitality. Verse 5. Hey, dear friend, Gaius, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. Okay, what's happening here? Well, Gaius was supporting traveling missionaries, pastors, and leaders with time, with food, he was growing in financial generosity. He was giving space and, and his personal space, and he was giving a home and money. He probably was washing their clothes. Now, why was Gaius so generous? Oh, because he and these people, he doesn't even really truly know, are bound together in Jesus. They're working for the same cause, and he wants to see the kingdom of God expand. Love in action. Don't even, they don't even know each other, but they both know Jesus. And I love when John says in verse 6, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name, that's Jesus, that they went out, receiving no help from non-Christians or pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Okay, just pause for a second. This is one of the strongest calls in the whole New Testament about the average Christian giving money and time to a local church so the kingdom can move forward. John is affirming in this one leader's life what Paul had been teaching his whole life. It's exactly what we see in Galatians 6.6. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word of God should share all good things with their instructor. I can feel some of you rolling your eyes and I can feel your body language change. Oh, sure, John, here we go. Another sermon on money and you're the pastor and you're going to say this because you get paid. No, 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 hold, stop. God's word says it. This is a practical, non-negotiable example of grace, self-denial and sacrifice. Actually, the giving, the act of spiritual giving of our money is one of the best spiritual disciplines to stop things from owning us. I love years ago when one, one person said, it is in the believer's long-term interest to provide financially to a local church. You stand to benefit immensely, immeasurably, and eternally even by sharing your financial resources with a local church so the local church can be all the more active in sharing the word of God. This is for your own good. This is actually how we mutually support each other. I mean, this is what Paul also said to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 9, 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the grapes? Who tends the flock and does not drink the milk? Paul says, listen, this is everyday life. It's obvious, look around. Soldiers don't serve without pay. 
Uh, those who plant vineyards eat the grapes when they want. Those that have sheep or goats have the right to the milk and they can make cheese, they can eat them or sell them. In other words, it's okay for a group of people to be vocational Christian leaders with their whole life and be supported. He says in verse 8 in chapter 9 in 1 Corinthians, uh, do I say this merely on human authority? Is this just my opinion because I want my way? Oh, no, no, no. Doesn't the Old Testament say the same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. You read that and you go, ox? What? Is God concerned about cattle? No, 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 no. <laughs> he's, quoting, he's quoting Deuteronomy 25. His point is Moses even believes this. Animals are given their due for working at their jobs. And all humans are far above animals. And those who are giving out eternal life, showing people who God is and where salvation is found, also should be supported. It's just common sense. Paul goes a little farther, and this is all the background to what Gaius is doing in 1 Corinthians 9.14. In the same way, Jesus himself has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living for the gospel. This is a quote from Matthew 10.10. 10. So here's the point. Jesus supports it. Paul supports it. Moses supports it. John supports it. And Gaius is living it. And that is what is so incredible and amazing. For example, I'll just talk about me. You have allowed, for example, myself and others to be free from actually having two or three jobs so I can and others can focus full time on preaching the gospel, allowing us to serve freely. Now, side note, if you're a leader within the sound of my voice, and I'm one of them, remind yourself, we're only stewards. We own nothing. I don't own one person in this church. I don't own any building. I'm only managing another person's work. And one day someone's going to take my job because God's going to ordain my successor. We never do this for the money. We never do this for the fame. We never do this for the platform. We never do this for the security. We just do this because we love Jesus. And God's people are generous enough to set us free. Remember what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5 too. If you're a leader, don't do this because you must, <laughs> but because you're willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So here's the point. Gaius was a man of truth. And Gaius was a man living out the truth. And Gaius was being formed by the truth. And Gaius was a man of profound generosity. In other words, he wasn't giving leftovers. He was sacrificing his best so others could serve God. Now, there are so many questions I could ask myself and all of you out of this little moment. Is your soul getting along well? When's the last time you prayed for someone physically maybe to get healed? Is there movement in your spiritual life? Are you letting truth form you? Do you even believe all the truths I just outlined? Are you a child of God? Do you really live like you're a child of God? Do you rejoice when you're struggling but other people are growing? So many questions, but here's where I want to focus. I want to talk about generosity, and I want to talk about hospitality. Gaius shows us a lifestyle of Christianity marked by Jesus, relationship and truth, and it's evidenced by financial giving and hospitality. All right, let me work this out. And by the way, this is a time where I need everyone to really lean in and really listen. A few weeks ago, we were in a staff gathering, and uh, a friend of mine had a vision-like moment. And we took some time to evaluate it. And the image actually took place in the Ajax um, 
the Ajax site, specifically out in the lobby, which is sort of irrelevant. And in the image, there was all these people and they were dancing and they were singing. And I think there were tambourines. No, we're not bringing tambourines back into the worship ministry. But people were really excited. And around all the people that were really excited, there were all these people basically bleeding out with broken legs. And this person was trying to work out what in the world this meant. Now, she heard very clearly that Jesus, of course, was with the broken. And by the way, if you're broken, if you're bleeding, and I'm going to talk about this more, never forget, Jesus is with those that mourn. But as we prayed and talked, it became very obvious very quickly. This, this is actually a, a heaven-given picture of Sanctus Church in this moment. Think about it. There's so much good. Um, I mean, I'm here right now doing this. We took the whole church online. Our global audience grew. More people came to Sanctus now than they did before COVID. Uh, baptisms, Alpha's launch, uh, freedom sessions, deliverances are taking place. People are being saved. We're reestablishing our historic sites bit by bit. Like there's so much good. And at the same time, there's so much bad. The amount of marriages that are barely making in our church right now or have actually been broken. The amount of people who are struggling with mental illness and, and, and depression, the amount of people who actually are out of jobs, the amount of people that don't have the language anymore and wondering where God is at. See, here's the point. That's actually the picture of the church at the same time. Incredible joy and incredible brokenness. And the danger is both of these groups could turn on each other and split the church in another way. The celebrating people could say, what's wrong with you people? Can't you see what God is doing? It's so incredible. We've made it through the pandemic. Giving has been strong. Just get up. And they're like, get up. My leg is broken and I'm bleeding. The danger with the bleeding people is, you guys are so fake. How in the world can you be celebrating? Can't you see? The Bible's clear. We mourn with those who mourn and we actually laugh or celebrate with those who are laughing or celebrating. You can't do that unless you're in relationship with people. Let me say this again, because in the last 20 months, there's been a lot of, a lot of uh, isolation, and some of us actually have started enjoying it too much. So let me say this to community. Gaius shows this unbelievable present hospitality. We actually are this right now. I, I was talking to someone last week, and they're like, I feel bad that I'm excited with what God's doing. I said, don't. Celebrate even more. Just be aware of who's beside you. So Gaius shows us at this moment, but in all moments, we have to be in genuine relationship with other Christians. So if we're bored and apathetic, someone can challenge us. If we're bleeding and broken, someone's mourning with us and comforting us. And if we're celebrating, we get to celebrate together. But we have to ride this tension and do it at the same time. Gaius shows us profound hospitality. I know this is even happening at a site level. I mean, we announced Markham Stouffville and it was like, yeah, this is amazing. And other sites are like, we're just barely getting up and running. Exactly. It's this perseverant thing and this hospitality thing. We must commit to be like Gaius. Here's the other thing. We've got to be real serious about giving in this church. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. We're not in some massive financial crisis. We're, we're doing okay. Not amazing, but okay. But that's actually irrelevant. We're called to give our best to God. I mean, in the Old Testament, it was called the first fruits, not the end, not the leftovers, not after bills, not after entertainment, not after, well, trips, whatever those used to be, not after the needs of life. Years ago, I love when someone said this, leftovers are such humble things. We would not serve leftovers to a guest, 
but we serve them to our Lord, who deserves the very best. We give him leftover time, stray minutes here and there, leftover cash. We give him such few coins as we can spare. We give him, we give our youth to the world, to hatred, to lust and strife. Then in our declining years, we give to him the remnant of our life. I want to remind you, Christian giving isn't giving to the United Way. That's good, but it's not Christian giving. Giving is about worship. (laughs) Giving is about giving yourself back to God, and giving is supporting those things that further God's agenda on earth. When you're standing at an Interact machine or at the bank setting up giving or you're texting or giving online, you don't give to get in heaven. You don't give out of duty. You don't give so God loves you more. You don't give so you get the approval of other people. You don't give to draw attention to yourself. You don't, you don't give to prove competence. And by the way, you don't stop giving when you don't like the pastor or the church's direction because you're actually giving to God. Remember, Gaius is the example of this. It's about thankfulness. It's about love. He understands so much of what Jesus has done for him. How could he not give to support others? He's living out exactly what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16.1. Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatians church to do. On the first day of the week, each one of you, notice this, every week. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Not equal amount, equal sacrifice, right? Saving it up so when I come, no collections will have to be made. Or or 2 Corinthians 9-7, each person should give what they've decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Did you notice? Not you get to choose whether you give, it's actually when you give, this is what God loves. By the way, side note, I know you know this, but let me remind you, every time I give, and, and, and I know I'm a pastor in this church and my salary comes from this church, but you know that my wife and I, right? We give joyfully to this church all the time. Why? Because every time I give, every time you give, every time we give, Alpha gets to be run and people get saved. Every time we give, we're helping Christians in India, Bangladesh, and Uganda. Every time we give, we got, we got to remember this. We're helping local partners, street, uh, street youth in Oshawa. We're helping people actually save children in the womb. Like every time we give, we're helping partners. Every time we give, we're setting up environments where we can get counseling for people. We can do pastoral visitation. Every time you give to this church, people go through releasing prayer and they're set free from supernatural evil. Every time you give, you're allowing me to preach. You're allowing worship services. You're allowing us to reestablish locations. The list goes on and on and on. We worship God by our giving. We're hospitable because we love God. And we give because we want the things of God to actually go deeper and wider. Okay, lots to think about, but let me give you three thoughts. And I just want to say to you, please, don't just take these thoughts as, oh, aren't those nice thoughts, thought of the day, and then move on and not think about anything. Number one, how are you growing in the truth? Like, like really, the stuff I summarized before, do you believe in the real Jesus? Do you actually know you're a child of God? Do you live like you're a child of God? Like how's, how is God's truth forming how you think before you act? Here's another question. Who are you choosing to be hospitable to? Some of you, by the way, are in isolation. You join us every week, but you haven't reached out. It's time to reach out and let people serve you and be hospitable to you. You can't live in isolation. We are a body. It's not you and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. But here's my challenge to you. And actually, Holy Spirit, would you actually bring again to people's minds, people, that they need to do this? Who do you need to comfort? 
Who do you need to have a Zoom call with or a real coffee with to encourage? Who do you need to go and celebrate with and say, oh my goodness, I'm so excited what God's doing in your life or in that site or in this church? Or who do you need to come alongside and say, actually, I know it's tough. I'm with you and so is Jesus. We need a hospitable community. So ask yourself this question this week. It's like Sam said last week. Who's the one person this year you're going to lead to Jesus? Here's the other question. Who's the one person you're going to be hospitable to this year? Just ask it. Ask the Holy Spirit. He's going to tell you who. And here's my last question. Unashamedly, how are you giving at Sanctus? Like legitimately, are you really sacrificing and giving? And you're like, yes, I cannot believe that God is going to keep doing what he's promised. And I'm going to worship God through my giving. And I'm going to make sure that my, my giving is about my first, not my last. And I'm going to make it a discipline. And I'm excited to serve and give. We need a generous people. And by the way, some of you are so incredibly disciplined and incredibly generous. And, and I was saying the other day, I never want to preach on giving when things are bad. Because then it looks like, oh, things are bad. No, 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 no. Hear me. Things aren't amazing, but things aren't terrible here. But that's not the point. Honestly evaluate, how is your financial giving to this church so we can do everything? That we can go above and beyond, establish sites, help people. Like, we need a generous people. Maybe this week you need to sit with the Lord and say, i got to talk to you about giving. I don't know where to start, but I want to be like Gaius. And if you actually just said in your heart, I don't want to be like Gaius, I get it, but you better talk to Jesus too. So let's just pray together as a community. Number one, thank you that we have this amazing example in Gaius. And one day we're going to meet with him. We're going to hang out with him in heaven. But Lord, here's our prayer. Number one, help our church to grow in truth. And there are some people that need to wrestle out truth more, form their thinking. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, you'd send the Spirit and show people across our church who they need to be hospitable to. And lastly, Jesus, thanks for the amazing generosity of so many people in our church, but we need a revolution of biblical worship through giving in this church so we can accomplish what we're called to. So I actually pray, Father and Son, send out the Spirit, convict and encourage, and may we have a revolution of generosity so we can do everything we're called to, just like Gaius was doing in his day. We ask this in Jesus' name, knowing that you want to do things that last forever. And we all sit together. That's right. Amen. See you next week.